Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise be to God. I'm thankful for everyone that's here in my home in McKinney, Texas. And I'm thankful for everyone coming from SoundCloud and YouTube or wherever you're coming from all over the world. i just uh, thankful that the Lord has drawn you to this message today and to this Gospel Saving Church message today. And um, I'm blessed to be able to be up here. It's such a privilege and an honor for me to be standing up here for God as his messenger and speaking the truth to a lost and dying world. So anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before we get started with our service, and then I'll begin with uh, telling you where we're at and what the title of the message is, and we'll, we'll get going. But if you join me, bow your head, please, and please, in a word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bless this service and bless our hearts. Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message that you have for us today, Lord. Thank you so much for that you're, that you're drawing and calling all peoples, Lord, all over the world, Lord God. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I just pray, Lord God, that you would use this message in a mighty way today in each one of our lives, Lord. Whoever or whoever listens to this message, Lord, in, in their lives, wherever they are, all over the world, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that your truths today that we hear will change us, Lord. Because, Lord, if we're yours and we really belong to you, Lord God, then you're working this process called sanctification in us. And, Lord, we're all going through that process if we're yours, Lord, because you just don't take us the way that we were when we came to you and then just leave us that way, Lord. You sanctify us and you make us more like you. So, Lord, I pray that today would be like a refiner's fire, Lord God, in our lives, Lord God, that you would sanctify us more and more and more today, especially with this message. I pray your Holy Spirit would... Holy Spirit would speak to our lives and to our hearts and to our spirits powerfully, Lord, and mold us and shape us and form us to be the people that you want us to be. We love you and we praise you, Lord God, and we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to be studying verses 1 through 3 today. So if you guys want to turn there, and then uh, I'll be there in a little bit, and give me a few minutes. I, I, I recap... Uh, last week's message, my thoughts from last week's message. Uh, the, the title of that message was, He Loved Them in Spite of Them. So what do I have to recap for that? Remember we read last week of how much God and Jesus Christ really loved the Jews, despite the fact of how they attacked Jesus in His ministry, and how they had rebelled against God for Thousands of years they had been in rebellion against God. Yet, Jesus still stood and cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long, I've, how long I've longed to gather you under my wings as a mother chicken gathers her hens. So, he still stood there and said that. And we remember how we talked about how God still loved the Jews despite and in spite of them and how they were. And, and we closed with, the fact that God is the same towards us even now. God is the same toward Gentiles and Jews. God loves everybody all over the world. And that is such good news. Amen. amen. Give me an amen. Please give me an amen. Because God, the fact that God loves is really my recap and my, you know, my, my overview from last week. Because I can tell you this right now. And I don't want you to ever forget this. Remember this one thing. If all you ever hear from me is one thing, this is what I hope that you remember, 
that Pastor Ed Spagnoli in Gospel Saving Church said, No one can love you like God loves you. I want to speak this to anyone out there who's listening to this message that doesn't know or hasn't ever known the love of God personally. If I had one thing to tell you, just one thing to tell you about God, one reason to tell you that you should surrender your life to Christ and receive His love, it would be because of His love for you. And it's not just any love that He has for us and you. It's His unconditional love for you. In spite of your sin, in spite of how terrible or no good, or rotten, or any evil thing you've ever done in your whole life, God still loves you. And no one on planet Earth can ever love you like God or Christ loves you. Jesus talking about His and God's love towards us says in Luke 6.35 to His disciples then and to anyone now, and He says, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Now, this is to your enemy now. This is not to your friend or to your family member. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For listen to this. For he, speaking of God, Jesus says, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Wow. Think about it. God, perfect, sinless, amazing, amazing God of love that He is, is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And by evil here, Jesus is speaking about those who live without God or Jesus as their Lord in their lives. These are just, this would be just the random person in the world, even the atheists, the God hating atheists. God is kind. And loving toward that person. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15 about the love of Christ towards him as a sinner. And he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Paul speaking of himself. I'm the chief of sinners. Remember Paul before he became Saul, before he got converted and he was actually a murderer before he got saved. And yet... Christ loved him and saved him, and he still considers himself here the chief of sinners, and yet Christ came into the world to save sinners. Wow. One pastor, a very famous guy uh, on the internet for one uh, real big sermon, it was uh, called That's My King, it's S.M. Lockridge, you could look it up, and that's the title of the sermon, That's My King, calls him the sinner's savior, is one of the names that he gives Christ as a title. And I agree. He is the sinner's Savior. Anyway, as I said in the opening of this overview for last week's sermon, if there's one reason, just one reason I would encourage someone to come to Christ and surrender their life to Him, it would be because of His unconditional love for you. He proved it by the cross. He went to that cross and He laid His life down so that you, even no matter how evil that you are and me, no matter how evil I am, could still come to God no matter what, in spite of who we are. So please, 
If you haven't tasted the goodness of God's love in your life yet, then please don't just ignore it and dismiss it away as superstition. I challenge you, if you haven't tasted God's love yet, please start praying and asking God if he would reveal himself and his love to you. And please, don't just pray once. God honors the fervent prayer. He says, he makes this promise. He says, those who seek shall find. Seeking, that's not just something we do once. When we seek, we keep looking. Seek and you shall find. Those who ask shall receive. So keep asking. Those who knock, the door will be open to you. And the way he uses those words there, those are continuous things that we should be doing, not just a one-time action. So take God at his word, please, and ask him if he's real. Seek him for a taste of his love. And after he does both of those, because he will, he promises that he will, then knock on the door of God's house until he comes and opens it to you and opens up salvation for you and grants you his Holy Spirit so you can live with him forever and be saved. And always remember, and don't ever forget, God loves you so much. No matter whether you feel like every person in the world hates you, You grew up without a father, or you grew up without a mother, or you grew up an orphan, or whatever, or you're the last man in the world, you think anybody loves you. God loves you. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. All right, so let's move on to this week's message, shall we? Title of the message today The Things of This World are passing away day by day. The things of this world are passing away day by day. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Let's read it with me, please, and then we'll get in to teach our word here. Chapter 24, verse 1 says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Speaking of the buildings of the temple, of course. Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when, when will these things be? They wanted to know when all this is going to happen. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So we have a beginning brand new chapter here, Matthew chapter 24. But we actually have some old but interesting information to look at here because there's something that is easily missed, but God showed it to me right when we first started this message. So right there in the beginning of verse 1, Jesus just told us that he went out and departed from the temple of God. Why is this important or interesting information, you may say? Well, here's why. Jesus has been in the temple since Matthew 21, 23. That reads, now when he came into the temple. The interesting information here is, from Matthew 21, 23 to Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, that's been two 
and almost a half chapters that Jesus has been in the temple. So Jesus generally wasn't anywhere for too long at all. But yet here we find him for two and a half chapters in the temple. What was he doing? He goes into the temple, Matthew chapter 21, 23, to teach. As he goes in the temple to teach, he starts to teach the people, just like we're having church service here. Jesus was having like a church service in the temple. As he goes in to teach, first thing, he was attacked by a total of four times with questions from Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and Herodians. He gives three long parables against the religious leaders, all of which are pretty brutal, exposing their evils. He blasts them with the truth, exposing them as the ultimate hypocrites that they were. He speaks eight woes to them in a brutal testimony against them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 29, which some may say, remember, was evil speaking towards them, but really it wasn't. He was just being honest with them. And lastly, he laments over Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nation's rejection of God Almighty and himself. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And all this happened as he was trying to teach the people, just like we are here right now. And all this took, biblically, two and a half chapters about. What a time, what a sad and hard time that Jesus just had in the temple. You know, it's interesting. In the past, as I've, you know, out in evangelism, out doing things for God, I've actually had times when I've tried to teach, not not just, uh, you know, speak to one person about the Lord, but I, you know, tried to sit down and say, come on guys, let's, let's gather around, let's, let's have a Bible study. And it's amazing to me that just like happened with here Jesus, with, you know, because this was the devil. Of course, you know, the devil doesn't want to hear the word of God being taught to the people. So the devil, just like this morning in my home trying to get ready for church, everything is going crazy. The devil hates it when God brings the word, brings his word to the people. So he tries to throw distractions in the way to stop the word. One day, I remember several years back, I was on Harry Hines. And we were by this place down by Parkland Hospital, and we called it the gangster bus stop because that's where a lot of the gangster people used to hang out and all the drug dealers and things like that. And it was right there by a Salvation Army. And I sat down. to We were giving away stuff for Christmas. We were trying to help the homeless and, you know, those down and out keep warm for the Christmas time. And so we had a big van, and we had all this, these clothes in there, and we had some soup, and we were trying to feed the people while the guys were feeding the people and everything. I had my Bible, and the Lord led me, hey, go sit down and start teaching. So as I did, I started sitting down, and I kind of, hey, guys, come on, let's come on, let's read the Bible together. Let's read the Bible. So everybody started coming, and a group started to form around me and started to sit down and started to hear the Word as I started reading the Bible. And all of a sudden... One homeless guy gets mad at another homeless guy because that was my shirt or that was my jacket and he took it from me and before we knew it, there was almost a knife fight about five to ten feet from me. And of course, everybody that was there, what happened is everybody got scared of the knife or the knife that was shown and so everybody got up and kind of the Bible study was ruined. And I, I really see this here with Jesus here. He sat down to have a Bible study with all these people that were in the temple Remember, he had even gone into the temple to teach. He started healing people, and the Pharisees got angry with him and all that. And, you know, by what authority did you do all these things? And that all happened and everything. And, and, I, and yet all Jesus wanted to do was teach the people. 
Always remember, you, you might be sitting there today, and I want you to think of a time, the last time you went to church, maybe it was even the morning on a Sunday you're listening to this, and you were about ready to go to church, and all of a sudden everything starts going crazy in your house. And the kids are yelling, oh, that's mine, no, no, you get out of the bathroom. And you wonder, why all this happened? I just want to go to church. Well, it's because the devil doesn't want you to go to church. and He doesn't want you to hear the Word of God, just like he didn't want people to hear the Word of God when Jesus was teaching. But they did, because in the lessons that Jesus gave, the people were all around, and they had church anyway. They just didn't get a directed teaching. Anyway, back to our scripture today. Just always remember, fight the good fight, and do the right thing always. And don't let the devil stop you from honoring God and listening to his word. Anyway, back to our scripture today. So Jesus leaves the temple after all this commotion here in verse 1. And he goes and he steps outside the temple. He just kind of gets away and steps outside. I personally think the reason that he went outside was to get some space. Jesus wanted to be alone. He had some pretty intense times in the temple. He kind of just let, I need to get out of here for a minute. I need to cool off. You know, I'm sure he got pretty excited when he, you know, as he's kind of given all these eight woes against all these Pharisees and all these religious leaders. So he gets outside to get alone and get some quiet time. Is he successful? Well, the last part of verse one says, and his disciples come to him and show him the buildings of the temple. So was he successful at being alone? And oh, the disciples came, they wanted to ask him some questions, they wanted to show him some the temple, they wanted to really, you know, be around him again. Biblically, when you know your Bible, if you know your Bible, you know that really the only time that Jesus got to be alone was when he actually was up all night long on some mountain somewhere, and where everybody else was asleep and he was communing with God, and that was pretty much the only time that Jesus was alone. Every other time that he was awake, pretty much, People were coming and going. Disciples were coming and going, asking him questions. He was teaching. People were coming and going. Uh, he had a pretty busy three-and-a-half-year ministry. So the disciples come to him in this instance when he's trying to be alone, when he's outside, and they want to show him the buildings of the temple after, of course, he goes outside. But notice here, well, you won't notice here, but there's a little underlying thing here. And that's going to be part of our message here, the main thrust of the message. They don't just come to show him the buildings. They come to show him how impressive the buildings were. How do we know this? Mark 13.1 is a parallel passage of this one right here. And we read this. They come to him and they say this, really, that Matthew doesn't articulate well. Mark says that they come and say, teacher. See what manner of stones and what buildings are here? Do you hear that? Look at how beautiful those stones are, Jesus. Well, look at how gorgeous all the buildings of the temple are here, Jesus. They really came to try to show him and try to look at how great they are. They've come to try to impress him. This, to me, is one of the craziest things I've read in all of Scripture. You say, why? Well, they did this. Oh, Jesus, look at how great these things are. Well, imagine yourself. And you have a route to work every day that you take every day. And on this route to work, there's this mountain that's there maybe that you're passing by. And you look at this mountain every day. Oh, that's okay, it's a mountain. And you're driving to work. Well, Jesus, from childhood, it was Jewish tradition that families of the Jews, Jewish families, 
would go to Jerusalem every year to do some sacrifices, to do some worship, to have some festivals, to have some feasts. This is ridiculous to me that they would come out and show Jesus how impressive these temples are when Jesus had been seeing this temple since he was a baby. This temple wasn't even built by the Jews. This was Herod the Great's temple that he built when before Jesus was a baby. Remember Herod the Great that tried to have Jesus killed when the wise men came? Well, this temple was Herod the Great's temple. I mean, it was a gorgeous, beautiful temple in a, in a human perspective, but yet they come outside to say, hey, look at this gorgeous temple, like a Jesus had never seen the temple ever before in his life. Well, every year at least. And in his three and a half year ministry, this wasn't the only time that they were in Jerusalem. Jesus would have seen this temple and these buildings all the time. So disciples, you know, I'm wondering if they're sitting there after this one going, why, why did... Because after they get his response here, we'll read about that in a moment. I, I, I wonder if they were like, why did we come to show him the temple? Why, I mean, he, duh. Anyway, another reason why this is crazy to me is, is think about this. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he had pretty much revealed himself to them. Remember, Peter said, you are the, the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, and Jesus said, oh, well, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. So really, they knew he was God in the flesh. And, and realistically, would Jesus, the God of all creation in the flesh, really be impressed with this temple that Herod the Great built? It wasn't like it was Solomon's temple. And, this, and, and even at that, it was, you know, God gave Solomon the vision to build the temple and all. But nevertheless, it, it, this was Herod's temple, and Jesus was God of all creation. How would the God of all creation be impressed with some human buildings that Herod built? Uh, just how great are the things that God builds? I mean, if you look at the things and you compare the things that God has built and is building against what we as man has, have built, I mean, it, it's pretty ridiculous. Paul speaks on this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, speaking of what God is making for his children for all eternity, he says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So imagine any beautiful thing that you can say, see right now in your life. I don't care what it is, whether you can take the deep Hubble telescope and look to the farthest reaches of space, or you can go to the bottom of the ocean and see the most gorgeous things at the bottom of the ocean that you could ever see, in, or, or, or any planet, or any tree, or anything that you think is gorgeous, and that's refuse as far as what God is making for those that love him for all eternity. Because it, Paul says, it hasn't even entered into our heart how great the things are that God has made for us. That means nothing we've seen, or I should say, God's, what he's making for us for all eternity for his children is greater than anything that you could see in this creation, period, the end. And if What God has prepared for those that love Him in eternity can't even be comprehended by our senses in our minds. This must be some excellent, amazing stuff. Amen? Then how impressed could Jesus really be with the buildings that some men made? Well, He wasn't. God just can't be impressed with the things on earth that people make or our treasures. It's just stuff after all. And if you think about it, Almost 100% of everything that we've ever built or will ever build 
or that we treasure ends up in the trash or in the junkyard at some point in our lives or in somebody's lifetime. Because nothing lasts forever. Do we know for sure that he wasn't impressed by these man-made buildings? Look at his statement in verse 2 again here. So they come to him, look at what manner of stones these are. Oh, Jesus, look at how great all this is, verse 2. And and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I I say to you, not one stone is going to be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus here doesn't even give one hint of excitement about these buildings that people built and honored so much. Instead, he prophesies of the coming destruction of the temple where not one literal stone of the temple that they were looking at right there was going to be left upon another. History tells us that this prophecy, because that's what Jesus did, he prophesied that this was going to happen. History tells us this prophecy was fulfilled when the Jews finally got tired of Roman rule over them and they revolted. It was about in the year 66 A.D., So in 66 AD, the Jews revolted and killed a small band of Roman soldiers in Jerusalem, starting what the Jews called the Great Revolt. After uh, after that, another small band of soldiers was sent by uh, another kind of Roman general that was in another city to try to bring the Jews back under control. But it didn't work because they were a real small band and the Jews were a great city, of course, and they went ahead and killed those guys. And They actually had their independence from the rule of Rome for a little while until in around the year 70 AD, Rome sent 60,000 heavily armed and highly professional troops and they just completely wiped out the Jewish Great Revolt. And in this great victory that Rome had, they destroyed Herod's temple. The Jews had locked themselves in the temple and they burned them out basically they set the temple on fire and the temple was covered in gold and as the temple was on fire the gold melted and killed all the people underneath and in the temple and the and the romans to get the gold because they were greedy knocked every single stone off of one another they completely destroyed the temple where not one stone was trapped or top you know sitting on another one and it's actually still there the 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 rubble the, the ruins of this great victory of Rome over the Jews and this destruction of the temple are still there to this day. You can go there and see it now. It's, it's right around this great, what they call the Wailing Wall. Jews go there and they pray and they stick little prayers in the cracks. And it was like the wall around, it was part of the wall that's still left that was around the temple. But the temple itself, the Temple Mount, is still littered with the stones that are all thrown over from the, when the Romans went to get the gold from you know that had seeped down from underneath. So Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. And again, the ruins are still there to this day. You can go on YouTube, you can go online, and you can see them. So sadly, the Jewish revolt was crushed, and Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. Of course, he said this was going to happen because of their rejection against him. But more importantly here, we see... Again, that Jesus was not impressed with these humanly beautiful buildings because, number one, he was God. And, you know, how great were these human buildings over all that God has created in the heavens and all that even God's going to create or is creating right now. 
for those that love him. And number two, he wasn't impressed, Jesus wasn't impressed, because he knew within just a short 40, less than 40 years after he knew that he was going to be killed and then resurrected and then, you know, but less than 40 years after he died, not one stone upon all these beautiful buildings that these Jews were so excited and so proud of and they honored so much was going to sit on one another and the temple was going to be completely destroyed. But, is, but, but there actually is another reason why Christ wasn't impressed with these man-made buildings. And we can look to that in verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of, listen to this, the end of the age. What is he saying? He's saying, they asked, what will be the sign of the end of the world? When is the end of the world coming? So what does that mean as far as why Christ wasn't impressed with these buildings here? Well, not only will all these things mankind makes and treasures be thrown away in the trash at some time and destroyed... But someday there will be an end of the age or an end of this world and not one thing we make or treasure is going to last forever. And since nothing lasts forever and there will be an end of this world, how impressive or important can anything people really make be to God? Look, Lord, look at what we made. Look at the ball of trash that's going in the fiery furnace, Lord. It's going to be burned up next week. But look at how beautiful that is, Lord. Look at that awesome piece of trash that I have for you. I mean, that's kind of really how God looks at it. Peter writes about this end of the age or end of the world and tells us in 2 Peter 3.10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Wow. Peter affirms what was written here in verse 3, that everything people have ever made that's on earth, as well as all the things we treasure, think about it, all of our cars that we treasure, all of our houses that we made, be so partial to all the money that we have all look at all that money i've got all our silver all our gold all our toys all our video games all of our yards i i i drive school bus in allen texas here and i walk and i drive around and i see all these people i can tell they're so proud of their yards their yards are just so nice and crisp and green and i know that that person in that house treasures that lawn their trees their landscape all these things people cut so meticulously and treat so wonderfully, and I know that they're really proud of it, which means it's their treasure. Along with, according to Peter, all the physical things that even God has made, the earth, the planets, the stars, all the solar systems, even the entire universe, excuse me, will all be completely destroyed and dissolved or melted away with fervent heat or fire in the end of the world. <clears throat> John even confirms it, Revelation 21.1. Now when I saw a new heaven, 
Or now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. So all these three scriptures imply, tell us, that everything that we make, everything that God's even made in the physical, including these physical bodies that we live in right now, including your homes, your cars, your couches, your lawns, your roses, your everything that you have and everything that God has made in the physical will all be completely wiped out at one point in time at the end of the world. Nothing of all the physical universe will remain because God is going to destroy all of it completely. And Revelation 21 told us that God is bringing us a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There will be no more sin, no more death. We covered that in the resurrection service just a couple few weeks ago. And I tell you, wow, I can't wait, amen, until all sin is gone, till all evil is wiped away, till I don't have to die anymore, or I don't have to think about death. Or I don't have to think about what that uncomfortable situations or hurts or pains or being hurt by others or getting hurt or getting old and, or death or taxes. Everything will be made new and all this will be gone. So it's easy to see here why Christ wasn't excited about the man-made buildings of the temple that the disciples were trying to impress him with, isn't it? So easy to see. How could Christ really be impressed with the ball of trash? Look at this ball of trash, Lord. How, look at how good it looks. And it was, it, was, it was molded by men, and look at how beautiful. And Jesus is thinking to himself, man, don't you see it's all going to be destroyed? What? It's all going to be destroyed? There's an end of the age. It's so easy to see. So since now Christ wasn't impressed with these humanly impressive buildings, and God is not impressed with anything we could ever make. And since he's going to destroy all that exists in this physical temporary realm one day with fire, how should we as Christians be living our lives in light of these facts that we've uncovered in our scripture today? Peter asks the same question to the Christians of his day, and he follows it with his question with an answer. Let's read it. It's going to be 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Peter says this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, everything in creation, Peter says, since all of it's going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He tells us right here. Looking for and hastening, come quick, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. One sentence, quick translation of what Peter just said. Peter just said that because all these things are going away. God's going to destroy them all one day. Our focus should not be on them. Our focus should be on God. His ways and His coming kingdom. And again, not on the things that are passing away. 
day by day. He said that we should be looking for, notice, and hastening God's kingdom. This means that we should be hoping that God will bring his kingdom quickly. Example, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thinking, Lord, come. I'm ready. Come, Lord. It's time. Please come. Wipe all this out. Get rid of it all. It's all going away anyway. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Now, and in light of this type of lifestyle of focusing on God and His ways and His kingdom coming quickly, how impressive and important should we as Christians consider all the things that people have made? And... How impressive and important should we consider all the things we have or the things that we need or the things that we want? How impressive should we think all this stuff should be? If we just had this mindset of, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, everything's going to be dissolved, everything's going to be destroyed, what, how impressive and how important should we consider it all to be? Answer? We should have the same mindset as Christ had today in the scripture that we just read. We should consider everything and anything as not important or impressive at all. And we really need to be focused on what is important, which is God and his ways and his kingdom and all eternity and his kingdom coming quickly instead of all these things that are in our lives. The things of this world are passing away like the world itself, day by day. And how important can they be if they won't last forever? Just remember what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 19-21. Kind of puts our perspective, because Jesus spoke about this too, just not right here. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let your mindset be focused towards heaven, not the things of this world. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's another kicker is if we focus here and we put in, are so impressed about all the things of this world that are, we're not focusing on storing up our treasures in heaven and we're not focused on heaven and really our heart is here with the earth and the things are going to be dissolved and destroyed on the earth and not in heaven where God dwells, where it's perfect. So Christians, listen please. Stuff is just stuff. And it's just all going to be destroyed one day anyway. So don't get caught up living for it and lusting after the things that you don't have. Now, a a quick aside. Because the sermon's been kind of harsh a little bit on the things that we have, and I can understand that. I want you to have a perspective here. Perspective is very important. Is there anything wrong in God's eyes with having nice things, that we would have nice things? Or that we would obtain or, or gather nice things for ourselves or, or keeping the things that we have nice. Is there anything wrong with all that in God's eyes? Well, I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. 
what it really boils down to is this. Our focus and our lives should not be lived for and consumed with those things because they are just things and all this world and everything in it is passing away day by day. Our lives should be spent and filled with God or living for God and for God and His kingdom and for His kingdom and spent on, Lord, come, I want that kingdom to come quickly. Not on, oh, oh, I want those things so bad and then we get consumed with having those things so bad and that we lose focus on who we're really supposed to be living for and where our lives are really supposed to be directed to and where our mindsets are supposed to be because if our minds are on the things that we have on this earth, then again, if we're focused on those things, then we're not focused on eternity and being with God forever and His kingdom coming quickly. There is such a fine line here, though, and because of that, I have a short story to share with you that articulates this fine line that I just recently failed at myself and that I had to, re- I had to repent of. And let me explain. Just recently, I actually had my mother and father move in with me within the last year. And so looking for something to do with my pops, I came up to him with a suggestion that we go buy something together, a little hobby kind of thing that we would do together. And he agreed it was a great thing. Well, we started looking at buying this thing. And and so in the process of buying this thing, it was a really cool, neat little hobby thing that we were going to do together. And so in the process of looking for this thing, I lost my focus. All my mind every day was consumed with having this precious man-made treasure that we were going to buy together and we were going to do this as a hobby together. We were going to have it together. And every day I go, oh, man, I got to find this. I got to get this. Every day I lost my focus for a while at first on having this special man-made treasure. Now, all the while, God's speaking to me saying, you know, it's just a thing. And he's teaching me this sermon, but I didn't even know it. And that was weeks ago, but I didn't know it was this sermon, but it really was. And every day I I, I had, oh, wait, 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 I had to get grounded again. No, 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 no. It's just a thing. But the devil won and my flesh won for so long until toward about the halfway point, I, I realized I was wrong. God showed me I was completely wrong. What are you focusing on? I told you to do this thing and to get this nice little hobby thing going with your dad. And look what you've turned it into. You've really turned it into your God. You've turned it into an all-consuming thing that you just have to have. And you've forgotten about me and my kingdom. And Lord, come quickly. Your focus is not on me totally anymore. So I put it back in God's hands. And I said, you know what, Lord? You are so right. I am so sorry, I repented, I gave it to God, but nevertheless, I still got trapped. And I love God with all my heart, and I don't want to focus on the things of this world, yet this lure of things of this world and focusing on things of this world is so deceptive that even I got trapped really, really, really easily. So, warning Christians. The things of this world can be deceptive. But that is not where Christ wants us to have our focus. Because again, title of the sermon, the things of this world are passing away day by day. Our focus needs to be on God, His ways, 
and in his kingdom, and his kingdom coming quickly. For where your heart is, there your treasure will also be. So in light of my story and how deceptive the lure and lust of the things of this world can have on us, I think that today we definitely need to examine our lives, each one of us, I hope you will, and take a good look at who or what you are really living for today. If you are a Christian and listening to this message, I bet you God has already been speaking to you about some things that you've had in your life that you hold important, but not this, not just that you hold important, that you hold excessively important, and you're not supposed to be. Well, I, from speaking from experience, and God are asking you today to please repent of how important you think these things that are that won't last forever, and, I, and we pray and we hope that you completely put your total importance on God, His ways, and His kingdom, and His kingdom coming quickly. Remember, the things of this world are passing away day by day and will be gone soon enough. So Christians, don't focus on these things. Put your focus on God Almighty and Jesus Christ and their kingdom. And live for God totally and stop compromising. And start giving all your worship and all your honor and all your thoughts to God. And not the things that are passing away day by day. God loves you more than anyone else in this whole world. I started this sermon with it and I'm ending the sermon with this. God loves you more than anyone will ever love you on this earth. God loves you more than the car that you have that you treasure. God loves you more than the house that you have that you treasure. God loves you more than the toys that you have that you treasure. So Christians, love Him the same in return. Let Him be the one that consumes your thoughts, not the things of this world that are passing away day by day. God loves you. Examine your life in light of these things. And let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today to us, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the warning and, and the, just the soberness of the fact that, Lord, we're, we're only here for so long. The world and the earth and everything in it is only here for so long, Lord God. And all the things of this world are passing away day by day. Even us, Lord, in these physical bodies. We are passing away in these physical bodies day after day after day. And we're going to be gone soon. So, Lord, where our treasure is, there our heart will also be. Lord, I pray that there, if there's anybody out there right now, any person that loves you out there that's sucked into or trapped into a sold-out focus of the junk of this world, Lord God, and, and they're just now realizing, oh, man, that pastor's right, God. I knew you were speaking to me about that. I go, oh. Pray right now, Lord God, that they would repent and put the stuff in its place because it is just stuff, Lord. And it's passing away day by day as they are. I pray, Lord, that our focus as Christians would be on you and our focus would be completely on your kingdom and your ways and not on this stuff that's passing away day by day. And help us, Lord, to have our treasure with you in heaven and to store up our treasure in heaven with you and not 
on this world that's passing away day by day as well. Thank you so much, Lord God. Please, Lord, help us walk the narrow path and fight the good fight of faith and live for you till we die. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.